as you know, uh, there's no more significant event in the history of the world than Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So anytime you talk about that subject or what Jesus accomplished, the options are innumerable. This morning, I want to focus on one that comes out of the Luke uh, 24 reading from the 6th reading. Uh, when Jesus spoke to the disciples, uh, this is at verse 46, he said this, It's written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And after that, that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name, to all the nations. So after the resurrection, there's going to be proclamation about what Jesus did, beginning from Jerusalem. And then verse 48, he says, you are witnesses. So there's going to be proclamation, and you are the ones who are going to do the proclaiming because you are witnesses. Verse 48, you've seen my miracles. Remember the disciples here, they've been with him. You've seen my miracles. And remember, witnesses are just saying what they know, what they've personally experienced, what they've seen. They've seen his miracles, they've heard his preaching and his claims, and then they have personally witnessed both his death and his resurrection from the grave. So they're the witnesses, and they're going to go and make proclamation. And of course, as you read in the book of Acts, that's exactly what they did. They waited for the Spirit. In Acts 2, the Spirit comes. And starting in Jerusalem, they proclaim as witnesses the truth about what Jesus did. And then Judea and Samaria, and eventually, uh, to folks like most of us in here, to Gentiles eventually. So they did that. They, they proclaimed because they knew something. They'd seen, they'd heard, they'd witnessed personally, and that's what they made known to others. And it's interesting, if you think about your own story of faith and conversion... I have no idea what that looked like for you or how many times you heard the gospel before you believed, but if it were possible, and God certainly knows this, any one of us that have come to faith in Christ, we could trace that spiritual lineage back, one witness after another, after another, after another. You could go all the way back, most of us, to one of these initial disciples and they were faithful in their day, and each generation, and each witness, each person that became a witness to the power and work of Christ, they proclaimed, they witnessed to others, and that's come all the way down to you and I today. Every generation, one after the other, isn't that cool? That we are in an unbroken stream and on, first generation, right on down to today. It's important, and what, what I want us to get today is, is this, if you talk to most Christians, there's two subjects, or maybe, maybe more than that, that they'll cringe. If you talked about witnessing to others about Christ, most of us cringe. If you talk about praying, we should be praying, we should be reading our Bible, there's things at which we simply cringe. Being a witness as a verb is something most Christians are fearful of. And I think there's some specific reasons for that. We'll touch on at least one of the primary ones this morning. But what, what I want to get at is this. The fuller our life is with the resurrected power of Christ, the easier being a witness is. That is, a lot of times for us, witnessing as a verb is difficult because we're not overflowing with the life of Christ within, the resurrection life of Christ within. So it's important to note in Luke 24, this is the order. He tells his disciples to do something because they are something. He's not asking them to do something they aren't already equipped for. 
They are something. They are witnesses. Can't deny it. Could, it wouldn't be true if they did deny it. They are something. And because they are something, they do something. And I think for us, a lot of times we're trying to do something we feel unprepared for because the experience we're meant to have in the resurrected power and life of Christ in us is not overflowing. And so witnessing becomes something that we're compelling ourselves or forcing ourselves to do instead of it simply overflows because we can't help it. Because we are so fully witnesses of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and his power that we can't help but talk to others about Christ. So that's where I hope we go this morning. So you and I are never going to be eyewitnesses like that first generation. We weren't there. But we are, in our way, in our dime, we are witnesses. Jesus' first disciples had seen things. And if you've come to know Christ, you've seen things too. Your witness. They heard things. We've heard things. We're witnesses to what we've heard. And we know things by our own experience, just like they had. I love you remember the passage in John where Jesus tells Thomas, if it helps you to believe, put your hand here. Put your hand in my wound. Experience the reality that I'm alive. As believers, we've experienced realities in our own life. I want to mention a few. Uh, We have experienced, we have seen, as believers, we have seen the resurrection power and life of Christ at work in others. Have you ever heard of someone uh, that you knew before they were a Christian? You heard that they'd come to faith in Christ and you couldn't believe it. Or you met an old friend and you realized they'd come to Christ and they were so transformed, you couldn't believe one person was the other. And you say that is seeing the resurrection power of Christ at work in someone's life. In fact, guys, this is, uh, it's hard for us to lay hold of this, but both Ephesians 1 and Romans 8 say that the same power, the same spirit and power that was at work in Christ to raise him from the dead, that is the same spirit and therefore the same power that you and I have as believers in Jesus. And then that power is at work in believers and we've seen it in the lives of others. We've seen our own need for deliverance from sin and death. And at some way, in some point, some level, the the fact that we could not save ourselves, an impossibility. We've seen the sufficiency of Jesus as our Savior. When we believed in Christ, we saw something in him that we realized he is the answer to my problem. You know, as a new believer, when I was presented the gospel uh, I, didn't, I did not know enough to be afraid of hell. I was that dull. Uh, but what I did know was this. I was vacuous inside. I was absolutely empty. I was miserable inside. And when I heard the gospel, I knew Jesus was the solution to my emptiness. I knew he was adequate. That's the way the gospel came home to me. And we've seen Jesus work in conforming us to his own image. And guys, on a lot of this, Our experiences vary, and the stage in life, in your own spiritual development and mine and someone else's, they won't all be the same. What we've seen as witnesses for each of us will be a little different, but hopefully we've all seen some elements of this, Jesus' work conforming us to his own image. We've also heard things. We've heard the witness to Christ through the voices of others. We've heard the gospel proclaimed. We've heard the gospel of our salvation in God's word spoken and preached. That reaches us. And guys, probably for you like me, 
I realized as I came to faith at 19 that I'd actually heard the gospel multiple times before, but, but it hadn't come home in a saving way before. But I remember hearing Billy Graham on television as a teenager, and I was fascinated with what he was saying, but I had absolutely no place to put it. It's like, wow, that sounds interesting, but I have no idea what to do with this. Most of us have heard the gospel repeatedly before that faith has taken root in our lives. We've also, I hope, all heard the voice of the Lord that at some point in your life you're, you're extremely happy or you're extremely miserable and you just want to hear from the Lord or talk to the Lord and you're in your Bible and God says something and you know the Holy Spirit, God just spoke to my heart and he told me something I absolutely needed to know. We've heard, we've witnessed as hearers. And we've also experienced, again, to one degree or another. So when you hear this as a believer... Don't lament that you don't know more of this. This is true more or less of all of us in our experiences. But we've experienced the forgiveness from the penalty of sin. You know, if, if as a believer, if you're not sure about your salvation, that's something that you need to absolutely be sure on. Jesus has died for our past, present, and future sins, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. We, we have experienced my sins are covered by the adequate shedding of Christ's blood. And none of my sins will ever be held against me. We've experienced the power of sin in our life being broken. This doesn't come up primarily in the Jesus resurrection story itself. But Romans is clear that not only did Jesus die and rise, but Romans 6 says we died with him and we rose with him. That we were in him. That just as surely as all the DNA in this room, it goes back to Noah and it goes back to Adam. And if you're a believer, your DNA, everybody in this room, goes back to Adam singularly. We've experienced the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who's come in and made Christ real to us. Who's opened our eyes to see the scripture. Who's convicted us of our own sin. Who's inspired us to speak to others. We've seen, experienced to some degree or another, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the character of Christ. When you read this in Galatians 5, love and joy and peace, those, that, that character, that life of Christ, we've experienced, again, to one degree or another. We've experienced by new birth and also by adoption that we are God's children. As believers, you're a son or you're a daughter of God. In fact, in Scripture, it talks about we're all sons of God, not to put women or females down, but because it was the sons who had primary standing as an heir. And men and women, we have that co-heir relationship with Jesus before God the Father. So we're witnesses too, not first century witnesses, not witnesses, eyewitnesses to those events, but we've seen, we've heard, and we've experienced. So as forgiven, born again, adopted, spirit-filled children of God... We are witnesses to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And by our very being, as redeemed, we are witnesses, whether we try to be or not, as a noun, as what we are, before anything we do, by what we are, like that first set of disciples Jesus spoke with, we are as a noun, we are by identity, we are witnesses. So before we do something... Witnessing to others, we are something. We're witnesses to what God has done in our lives. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians. 
This is chapter 2, verse 15. Paul's writing to people just like us. And he tells them that we are a fragrance of Christ. We are a fragrance of Christ. Now, you know, if you go outside in this season, if I go out my driveway, we've got flowering shrubs everywhere. And man, if you walk out, you go, and you turn your head because there's a fragrance. Now, guys, those bushes, they don't try to smell. They smell. And those flowers, they don't try to smell good. They smell good because that's what they are. They give off that aroma, and I turn my head, and I say, what is that? What smells so good? Paul says, as believers with Christ inside us, we have the aroma of Christ by our essence. We don't have to try to smell like Christ. We do smell like Christ because Christ is in us. We've put on Christ. He's in us. We're in him. We put on Christ. So we don't try to be a witness in this sense. We are a witness. We don't try to smell like Christ. We do smell like Christ. When my girls were growing up and I would often hug them, they would, not infrequently, it became a running joke in my household, they would say, Dad, man, you smell so good. What's that cologne you have on? And I would always say the same thing. I would say, I have no cologne on. That's my deodorant. I'm trying not to smell bad that's my old spice I recommend old spice having put on Christ we are a witness we have his aroma you know I was a brand new believer I was at uh, Kansas State University and uh, I met a fellow in the dorm, my dorm one day, and I took one look at him. I'm a brand new believer. I took one look at him, and I just thought inside me, uh, something's different about this guy. We, he hadn't spoken a word. He hadn't said anything. He's just sitting there minding his own business. And in my conversation, I learned the difference was he was a believer. And as soon as I saw him, I wasn't sure yet what it was, but I knew there's something different. He was a believer. Actually, he was the first guy that ever discipled me. I don't think he had any hope for me whatsoever. (laughs) It was bad, very bad. (laughs) God kept working on me. He keeps working on all of us. But he didn't, he was a witness sitting there saying nothing. He had the aroma of Christ. Christ was in him. He was in Christ. He was a witness. So we are something. We are witnesses to Christ. If we don't say a word, we are witnesses to Christ. Putting on Christ, we don't need to do anything else to be a witness. Now, this is the thing, and this is where the rubber meets the road. Our status as a witness is a given. It's a given. If you're a believer, you're a witness. It couldn't be otherwise. All that varies is the quality of our witnessing And I think that if we're disenchanted or discouraged by the quality of our own witnessing, it's probably due, and this isn't true in every season of life, but I think for most of us, most often, it's due to the quality of the grasp or the experience of the life of Christ within us. That is, the fuller I am by personal experience, of what I am and what I have in Christ, the easier witnessing to others becomes. If I'm filled up within with the life of Christ, spilling over the life of Christ becomes pretty easy. 
So we are witnesses. That's our starting point. But witnesses eventually do something, don't they? They, they witness as a verb. They speak to others. Now think of this for a second. If any one of us in here won a lottery, uh, uh, whatever, lotto or whatever they are, um, and we came into a bunch of money, a, a big sum of money, if we weren't afraid everyone else was going to take it from us or, or hit us up for a loan, we'd probably be talking to other people about that, wouldn't we? Because there'd be this enthusiasm, there would be this excitement, or, you know, uh, Big 12 tournament champions, or if if our team won the national championship, we're ready to talk to others because our emotions are engaged, our, our thoughts are engaged. There's no problem bringing up these conversations. Have you guys ever driven behind someone? Uh, the bumper sticker says, ask me about my grandkids. They're, they're telling us what they're interested in, right? There's no problem with this. Or my son or my daughter is an honor student at whatever school, right? They're enthusiastic, and because of that, they're ready to talk. And I think what we find for ourselves is the more fully we savor and enjoy and know by experience the resurrected power of Christ in us, the easier the verb witness becomes because we can't do otherwise. If we find that we struggle in witnessing to others of Christ it often means we're simply not enjoying the resurrection life and promises and fellowship of Christ that's meant to inform our life and therefore our witness to others. So if that's you, and frankly, I know most of you, that's most of us. So what we don't want to do is this. We don't get the whips out symbolically and whip ourselves. We don't tell ourselves to do better. We don't put a burden on our back another resolution that we're going to do better at this, okay? You can have meaningful thoughts in your mind. This is an easy way to talk to people about Christ, or I've practiced my own testimony and I'm ready to share that with others. That would all be fine. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not the primary thing. So if we feel convicted that witnessing is a challenge, it's a chore, we're not quite sure how to go about that, don't work so hard at doing that be a little bit more focused on what is already true and what do I already have? And am I savoring that? Is that mine? Is it filling up the experience of my life? I'm going to read just a couple of passages. These are ones I put together. You could put together much, much longer lists. But listen to these. If you're a Christian, everything I read here is straight out of the Bible and it's true of you. The only question is to what degree do we know it by experience and enjoy it? To what degree does this knowledge fill us up, okay? Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, as a child of God, you are, you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You're a child of God. You're Jesus' friend. That's one that I always loved. Sometimes if someone says they love you, it's like, yeah, you got to love me. I'm related or whatever. But if they say, I like you, you're my friend, I have affection for you, we're Jesus' friend. We're slaves of righteousness. We're a joint heir with Jesus. We're a temple of God. God lives in us individually and corporately. We're a new creation. We are saints. We're citizens of heaven. We're members of Christ's body, the church. We're the workmanship of God. We are chosen and loved by God. We're royal priests, and the list goes on. That's true of every one of us that's a believer. 
Listen to this next list. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have been forgiven every sin, declared by God to be just and righteous, freed from condemnation, given the mind of Jesus, bought with a price, anointed with the Holy Spirit, been crucified with Christ so that sin is no longer our master. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. We've been seated with Christ in the heavenlies. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness. We've been made complete in Christ. We've been buried, raised, and made alive in Christ. We've been given a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind in Christ. We've been enabled to stand in God's presence blameless with great joy and to approach the throne of grace with boldness. That's true of every Christian and more, lots, lots more. If we know these things by experience, guys, witnessing to others is no problem. It's the natural outflow of our lives. We're filled up with the experience of the life of Christ within, and that flows out to others. How do we do that? What does that look like? If that's not us today, what do we do? Worshiping with the saints uh, here Friday night for a Good Friday service, uh, which basically I put together the service, you know, so I'm aware of everything that's going to be read the text, but I told Bill, Bill, and after service, man, I'm sitting there listening to the lyrics of the songs, and I am just jazzed again, the, the reality of the, the scriptural truths that those songs embody. Worship with the saints. Meditate in God's word. And guys, I'll tell you something, a uh, personal confession here. I feel like there are so many elements, and this is true for all of us in one way or another. We'll know things that we don't feel. We'll know things that we don't feel the good of. And one of the things I've done to try and fill my spiritual cup up uh, more fully is reading scripture and inserting my name instead of us. So if you read Ephesians 1 and 2, put your own name in there. And, and you read that uh, God's kindness was extended towards Sean or Larry or Mike. And I read that for myself. God's kindness was extended to Mike. And God so loved Mike. And God recorded Mike's name. Do you see what I'm saying? It, it makes it personal in a way that otherwise sometimes I just feel like, I know it's true, but, but it feels more true for others than for me. But I insert my name in those passages, and, and it's that, that's what God did for me. That's what Jesus did for me. It makes it personal to me. I experience it a way I don't otherwise. Ask God to show us. We have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We have it as believers. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you those realities so that they are ours. And guys, this is our birthright as believers it's the life of Christ. It's enjoying the life of Christ. And if we're not, we can ask the Lord, Lord, I'm not getting all Jesus died to give me in this life. And none of us will get it all here. We, we understand that. When we're face to face, we get it all. But until then, God wants to fill us up. He wants us to overflow with the life of Christ. And if Christ's life is in us and overflowing, witnessing to others, being this next generation that is witnessing to others... All of us came to faith because others were witnesses before us. We want to be part of that chain of redemption too. If we're filled up with the life of Christ, that resurrection life, it will flow out to others for sure. You can't help it. Let me speak to some of you too, just real briefly. If, 
you know, the key question, the $64,000 question to anyone on the earth at any time is, if you died, what happens next? And that's a question I like to ask people. If you died or when you die, what happens next? What's your take? What's the big picture? If you don't absolutely know that your sins are forgiven and that to die is to be face-to-face -face with God in the presence of Christ, you should and you need to. And there's an easy way to do that. Let me tell you some ways that won't work. Uh, being good won't save anyone. Being good won't save anyone. Uh, none of us are absolutely good, and one sin before a holy God is enough to condemn, righteously judge any or all of us. None of us are good enough for heaven. Going to church won't save us. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. But being here this morning doesn't save us either. Remember, it was religious people that condemned Jesus before he was given to the Romans for crucifixion. Our friends and our family can't save us. It doesn't matter if your wife's a believer. It doesn't matter if your cousin or your uncle's a believer. Nobody else can save you. You've got to be saved on your own between you and the Lord. No grandkids, no nieces, no nephews, just children, just sons and daughters. But, you know, salvation is the easiest thing in the world, though, isn't it? Jesus paid the whole price, and we simply say yes to Jesus' offer. Absolutely, right? John's gospel is written to tell us, lovely gospel, right? And it says, these things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and believing you will have life in his name. Amen. We don't do anything other than believe, yeah. <laughs> and that can be true for you today. Uh, today's the day of salvation, scripture says, don't put that off another day.